get you expecting and good things will happen. You guys ready? All right, say this after me. Healing is not my idea. Healing is God's idea. I'm not trying to convince him. He's trying to convince me. I told you this, I think, the first week of the healing series. If we had a special camera that was able to see how well healing was working in your area, how much healing uh, power was working in your life. You know, if, uh, if it was red, that means there's a lot of healing power. If white, there's no power. Pink's kind of in the middle. And what I said is if we were able to take a snapshot, as we went over these weeks, the color can actually change. I want you guys to see this. The amount of healing that's working in your life is not static. It's not like, ooh, this person gets level 10 healing, this person only gets level t- 2 healing. It's, uh, you, have the, uh, you have the healer living inside of you. The amount of power that gets released is how well you renew your mind. Like, Jim, what does renew your mind? How much your mind comes into alignment with what God says and you actually believe it. So here's the problem. The Bible says if you'll just believe and not doubt, you can move mountains with your faith. So it only takes mustard seed-sized faith to move mountains if you'll remove the doubts. So here's what we need to do today. Here's what I found, is if we can remove doubts, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to see people healed. A lot of people are trying to grow this giant faith when you just need to get rid of the doubts. So if you think of it like a team of horses, you've got one set of horses, they're pulling you towards the miracle. You've got another, another set of horses that are doubt, they're pulling you away from the miracles. If you just cut the cord, the faith runs that way, and it'll be good. You guys ready? All right, so we've looked at the good news that it's always God's will to heal. Uh, we looked at how Jesus paid for it all. He bore your sickness, carried your pain. He dealt with sin and sickness all in the same package. We looked at how Jesus is perfect theology. He's perfectly revealed the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what did we see Jesus do? He healed every person who came to him without exception, and every person the Father led him to. Is this sounding familiar? Okay. <laughs> I'm taking that as quiet contemplation, not bored indifference. I'm just going to just make that declaration here, all right? We looked at uh, last time, God only heals people who don't deserve it, so stop trying to deserve it. We looked at, so, uh, and most of the Christians, that self-righteousness is the problem. I just, um, boy, I'm about to name drop here. Are you guys ready for this? When I was at Andrew Womack's last week, and so um, I was. Anyway, and so uh, he asked me to mentor him. I said, I don't have time. I said, no, he did not. <laughs> None of that happened. He did not ask me to mentor him. But um, I, 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 would, you know, I, I taught, and I had a couple people catch me in the hallway. Well, Jim, I've been praying, and I've been fasting. I've done all this and this, and I'm just not healed. And I said, well, you, you just told me the problem. Faith doesn't look at what you've done. Faith looks at what Jesus has done. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's what self-righteousness is. Anytime you think you're giving God a reason to bless you, but God, I've done this. You've cut yourself off from grace, and you're in self-righteousness, which means you have to be perfect, and there's only been one person who was. Jesus. The good news is you've been united to him, and so you can go with God righteousness, son righteousness, and completely depend on him. So that's what we've been talking about. And so if we were to do a, a series of healing meetings, let's say Friday, Saturday, Sunday, here's, here's what may happen. Uh, you, 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 know, you teach on healing on Friday, get people's eyes on Jesus, we pray, and it looks like nothing happens. Saturday, they hear the message again, pray, nothing happens. Sunday, they pray, uh, get prayer, and they're healed. Now what happened? God didn't change his mind. They changed their mind. Okay, God is not up there on a case-by-case basis deciding who's whether, or not, whether or not someone's worthy to be healed. He already said yes 2,000 years ago. And so faith does not move God's hand. A lot of people are like, faith moves heaven. No, no, no. Heaven already moved 2,000 years ago. So faith looks back at what Jesus did and responds and says, thank you, Jesus, that's enough. All right, are we good? All right, so... Um, Turn with me to Mark chapter 7, verse 13, and this is a, uh, this is a verse about the Pharisees. I'll, 
I'm, I'm going to be done reading it by the time you get there. It's just one quick verse. You guys ready for this? The Pharisees, they were making the word of God of no effect through their tradition. Well, that's a startling statement. The word of God that will perform what it's intended to do, that will not return void. If it's not mixed with faith, it null, the doubt and unbelief actually, or actually, I'm sorry, religious traditions nullifies the effect of the power of the word of God. That is a stunning, a stunning thing. Uh, specifically, religious doctrines makes the word of God of no effect. And um, Jesus is saying you can actually neutralize the positive power of God's word by elevating man's tradition over God's word. You're like, Jim, I would never do that. I would never elevate man's tradition. And uh, here's the thing. If back in Jesus' day, they didn't need a whole series on healing. They just saw him and they're like, oh, this is what God's will is. But we've got all these hoops that a religion has put on us to jump through. And a hoop, uh, let's just call it a doubt. Here's what a doubt means. A doubt means to disqualify oneself for the promise. In other words, you hear the truth. Jesus paid for it. And you're like, yes, Jesus paid for it. But what about this? But what about this? And so the enemy will sow in these little doubts into your life that make you say, oh, that, that's not for me. Or that couldn't be possibly be for me. And it feels personal, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull out those weeds so that that uh, mustard seed-sized faith can rise up and good things can happen. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. All right, that was like three or four people this time, right? This is good. It's doubling. It's doubling in here. It's very exciting. So the, I'm just going to go through a bunch of doubts. And so we're, we're just going to kind of pull these things up. Some of them I'm going to be a little rough on just because I hate them extra. All right, we good? So is everyone going to turn their offense meter on low right now? All right, well, we'll see. Well, the first doubt we've already been dealing with this last couple of weeks is uh, people ask, well, is it the will of God to heal? Is it always God's will to heal? And what that does is it creates a doubt. Well, maybe, man, maybe it's, it's God's will for someone else, but it's not for me. If you remember on, on the first week, we said, how can we tell if a doctrine is, uh, is biblical? As we look at the person of Jesus, Jesus is perfect theology. He said he's a perfect representation of the Father. And what did Jesus do? Did he ever lay hands on someone and say, ooh, ooh, uh, sorry, you know, come back in about a week. Maybe God will change his mind. No, no. He healed every person that came to him. And everyone the Father led him to. And what did he say? He said, I'm only doing what I see my Father doing. What did he see his Father doing? Healing every single person who came to him. Guys, were there, remember, he's healing multitudes. Do you think there was people in the multitudes that may have had some issues? Maybe didn't have their whole act together under the old covenant? And what did he do? He healed them all. So that first doubt, I've been kind of dealing with that the last couple weeks. <clears throat> the next doubt is it's not God's timing. Right? And what do we do? We got to look at the, listen guys, if we want Jesus level results, we're going to have to do it like Jesus and not, and not have all this other ridiculousness that we're going to be going through today. So how do we do? Jesus never laid hands on someone and said, sorry, you're right in the middle of an important lesson. And when you learn your lesson, come back to me. No, no, no. But religion says, I mean, how many of you guys ever heard that? Well, maybe it's just not God's timing. No one's ever heard that. Okay, we'll just, okay, there we go. Thank you. The, um, this is called interaction. Okay. So yeah, it helps. I feel like we need to wake some people up here. All right. Um, uh, Jim, what you need to do, you need to throw out your medication to prove you have faith. Well, Jesus never required people to do these. He never required them to do these heroic measures. He actually said this, go show yourselves to the priest uh, when he healed somebody. Well, what good's that? Well, the priests were actually kind of like the medical professionals of the day that could certify whether or not certain illnesses were healed, like leprosy. And so here's the th deal, guys. God's not against medicine. He's against being number two. So here's what I want you to understand, guys. We're not some weird cult that says you can't put, you ever take your kids to the hospital. Listen, guys, if, uh, if you really believe that um, it was God's will for you to be sick, then we should be boycotting the hospitals. 
They would be the worst things in the world because God's putting sickness on people, and here's these doctors and nurses trying to get them well. But nobody believes that at a core level. Only religion can make you that stupid. Okay, and so practice your faith on your kids, but don't test it. If they're not getting healed quickly, it's okay to take them to the doctor and pray for wisdom for the doctors, pray for wisdom for you and everything. Listen, I know not everything every doctor says is, is perfectly good medical advice, um, but that doesn't mean we ignore the whole profession. We're thankful for doctors. Luke, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, he wrote Luke and Acts, um, was a medical professional. Aren't you guys thankful for Emily? She would not be able to get into those countries if she didn't have a medical license. She can't just go there as a missionary. So we're not against medicine. We're against, we're against God being number two. We good? All right. Uh, generational curses. Oh, my goodness gracious. Generational curses. So I'm going to be a little bit nice, and then I'm going to be a little bit mean. You guys good? But it's going to be holy anger, not mean anger. Isn't that great? I can just justify it like that. Isn't that good? My anger is good. Yours is bad. I'm not, I'm not angry. I, I actually am against the devil. And so anyway, here's generational curses. And so there's this teaching that says that, um, you know what? You need to go back in your family line. There's this generational sin. And God's punishing from generation to generation of the sin, even of the innocent person. So it's like, if your grandfather was a mason, you need to go back and break that generational curse of that masonry because it's affecting you today. Um, I believe the, uh, uh, the Greek says um, bullcrap. <laughs> it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. There's actually not anywhere in the Bible where anyone did anything, Genesis through Revelation, about a curse. So that should at least make you hesitate on going and breaking curses and going back all these generations. Because what happens, you go back five or six generations, and the devil's going to go, what about number seven? There's some secret iniquity. There's some secret thing in there. The Bible does not even hint about the need for breaking curses. If uh, The final clause of the new covenant is, I will remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. If God's not holding your sins against you, he's not going to hold your grandfather's sins against you because he was a witch doctor or because he was an alcoholic or because he was a dot, dot, dot. Here's what he did. So there probably is some generational curses in your life. Probably before you were saved. Probably. I don't care. Um, here's what Jesus did. He said, we're going to kill that person. They're going to be dead. Buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to newness of life. And now you've been made one with Jesus. And there ain't no curses in his generation. What's it say in Galatians 3? It says that um, he, uh, cursed is the one who was hanged on a tree. Jesus became the curse of the law so that you could become the righteousness of Jesus. That's just good news. Here's where I'm going to take it up and not. There is actually a place in the Bible that says there's a certain group of people who are cursed. It's the Galatians. I think this fall we're going to be uh, teaching through Galatians verse by verse. It's going to be a lot of fun. Here's what it says. It says, Paul says, even if I or an angel from heaven preaches you a gospel other than the one you received from me, let them be cursed. What on earth is he talking about? Here's this group of people that's preaching another gospel. What was the other gospel? It says, you know what? Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is kind of the start, but then you need to be circumcised. You know, like, Jim, what's circumcision? Ask your parents. I'm not drawing any diagrams on that one, okay? So what was the different gospel? Is Jesus plus something else. Jesus isn't enough. You need to do something else. What's the generational camp teaching? Jesus isn't enough. You need to go back and break these other curses. So today, the group of people who might be cursed... Are there people who are teaching you Jesus isn't enough, teaching you that you have generational curses? 
You can be cursed if you want to, but not from Jesus. Are we good? So can you throw out a couple of those books? But I know this person, and they broke a curse, and something happened. Great. God's gracious. He can even use bad theology. Let's not create a theology around it. But doesn't he say he punishes the third and fourth generation? No. It says he punishes the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. You partake in the sin, you partake in the punishment. When you get saved and you become born again, God is no longer punishing you for your sins. Past, present, and future. Hold on, Jim. God's forgiven me of future sins? You better hope so. He only died once. That's Hebrews 9 and 10. It's about eternal redemption. So, Jim, if I tell a lie, go hit by a car, am I going to heaven if you're born again 100%? Remember, you're living under a waterfall of forgiveness, continually being cleansed by him. It's good news. Well, Jim, what about Job? How many of you guys have heard this is kind of a doubt zone? What about Job? All right, two people. Am I even in the right place today? Maybe you guys have just been here for a while, and you're like, Jim, we already know this, all right? You know what's so funny is, like, in Uganda, they don't have all these crazy doubts. I went and taught this in Uganda, and they're, like, looking at each other, and I'm like, okay, this is the wrong message. Should have prayed about it. Okay, there we go. I prayed about this one. What about Job? Well, I'd like to start off with this. I'm not a disciple of Job. I'm a disciple of Jesus. So let's just lay that groundwork right there. Um, if I read Job and it doesn't lead me to Jesus, then I'm asking the wrong questions, all right? Here's the deal. It's illegal to take a picture of God in the Old Testament and let that supersede the perfect revelation of God in the New Testament, okay? So just, just first of all, any revelation that Jesus brings us is going to supersede something that's cloud, clouded in types and shadows, Okay? So here's the theology of Job. Satan made him sick. God made him well. If you're not healed, you're not having a Job experience. What about Job? Well, Job was healed, so what about you? The Bible says that God restored Job's losses and gave Job twice as much as he had before. I love this word restore. Okay, I remember I was reading this, and so if you know the story of Job, it's, it's 42 chapters long. And in chapter one, we introduce this man who has a blessed life. The enemy comes in and steals things from him, kills his family, all sorts of horrible things. And then in chapter 42, God restores everything that he lost and gave him double. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, boy, that word restore seems to imply that God would have actually raised Job's kids from the dead. So I just kind of had that thought, and I thought, I'm going to go back to the Bible and see if I can find it. You guys ready to see that this is Jimology? okay? I'm not saying this is thus saith the Lord, but I think there's a very strong case that can be made that God raised all 10 of Job's kids from the dead. You guys ready for this? Would this be good news to you if this is true? All right, so I'm reading in the book of Job, and I'm reading in chapter one, and it's, he keeps giving the specific number of sheep and oxen that he has. I know the Bible doesn't waste words. I'm like, why is he giving specific numbers? So in chapter one, he has 7,000 sheep. In chapter two, 42, it says that God restored everything and gave him double, and now he has 14,000 sheep. You guys get that? 7,000 to 14,000, that's double. Chapter one, 3,000 camels. Chapter 42, 6,000 camels. Chapter one, 500 yoke of oxen. Chapter 42, 1,000 yoke of oxen. Chapter one, 500 female donkeys. Any guesses how many in chapter 42? 1,000 female donkeys. In chapter one, he had seven sons and three daughters. Uh, they, were, they were all killed by the enemy. God restored everything, gave them double. Here's what it says. It says that he, um, he got seven more sons and three more daughters. Okay? Now, if everything at this time has been doubled, how many of you guys know zero plus ten isn't double? The only way that it could be doubled is if God restored everything that he'd lost, 
the original 10, and gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. I had a thought that hit me one day when I was in the shower. If that's too graphic for you, I always shower in a full wetsuit, if that helps you. <laughs> so I'm showering in my wetsuit. I had, I had this thought, like, um, where did uh, Abraham get the faith to raise Isaac from the dead? So this is a different Bible story. The story of Job takes place before the story of Abraham. Okay? So Abraham, you know, father Abraham, father of faith. So he, God says, I want you to go and sacrifice your only son. This was the promised son. He's like 99 years old. He'd been waiting for his son. And God tells him to go and sacrifice him. And we get a hint in Hebrews 11 of what Job was thinking. I mean, what Abraham was thinking. Hebrews 11:17 said that Abraham considered that God was able to even raise Isaac from the dead. So as I'm standing there in my wetsuit, the Lord says, um, where, did, uh, where did Abraham get that idea? And I felt like the Lord said from the story of Job. I can't prove it to you, but I would submit it to you that that's pretty good news. How are we doing? Plus, I want you guys to get this. Most of the book of Job is wrong. A lot of people are like trying to get like deep theology from the book of Job. Um, Elihu was a young man who comes and he corrects Job and his friends for all of their wrong attitudes. Chapters 32 through 38, he's like, all you guys, everything you've been saying is wrong. And then God comes on the scene in chapters 38 through 41, and he says, Elihu was right, and then he begins correcting Job for his self-righteous attitudes. And then Job repents, and then God corrects Job's comforters. Aren't you glad you don't have comforters like Job's friends? Must be your secret sin, must be your lack of faith. Boy, where does that sound familiar? That's literally what they were accusing him. You must have some secret sin in your life. Well, that's, that's, that's unhelpful. Guys, if sin was a blockade to us receiving from, uh, from God healing, boy, something went terribly wrong in the New Testament because everybody Jesus healed was unsaved and was sinners. Sin does not stop you from receiving from healing. Uh, unbelief stops you, which we're trying to pull up some of those doubts. How are we doing? Are you guys seeing the simplicity of Jesus? Well, Jim, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? How many of you guys heard about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, that sounds terrible. Well, it's, it's actually a phrase from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a thorn in the flesh were people. It was the enemies of Israel. It's like, hmm, that's interesting. So um, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. He says, because of his surpassingly great revelations, I mean, Paul's getting caught up into the third heaven. He's having all these things happen. He says, uh, yeah, there was, a, messenger, there was a, a thorn in the flesh given to me, a messenger of Satan. What did he just say that the thorn in the flesh was? A messenger of Satan. <laughs> People are like, well, Paul had bad, eye, bad eyesight. Well, it was a messenger of Satan. And uh, he, say, he calls it a weakness. Okay, that's 2 Corinthians 12. Let me just rewind to 2 Corinthians 11. Memory, Paul's like, listen, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten with rods. I've, been, uh, I've had stripes on my back. I've had, been persecuted, all these things. And he calls it weaknesses, persecutions, and hardships. And he says he glories in his weakness. A couple verses later, chapter change. There's no, there's cha- no chapters in the original. He says, I, um, he says uh, God has given me this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. He says, um, but God's grace is made perfect in my weakness. In persecutions, hardships, and insults. Weakness here, weakness here, persecutions, hardships, and insults. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? It was demonic persecution at the hands of men. That looked like insults, persecutions, and hardships. Read it in context. Well, Jim, didn't Paul have bad eyesight? Well, I can prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that Paul did not have bad eyesight. You guys ready for this? Timothy let Paul circumcise him. Guys, is there a man in here who would let someone with bad eyesight come anywhere near them with that flint knife? 
I don't care how, anyway. You see him going around there, where's that thing at? How are we doing? Well, Jim, you need to find the root cause of the sickness. You need to look to the past to know how to pray in the present. Just because it sounds catchy doesn't mean it supersedes the Bible. Jesus never said you need to learn, you need to look to the person's past to know how to pray in the present. He said we need to look to Jesus rather than our problems. Okay? Jesus did not teach you should look at yourself to find the problem. He said we should look at him to find the solution. Are you guys seeing all these doubts? They get our eyes and everything else, but faith looks at Jesus. And when, G- when, we, when faith looks at Jesus without doubts, healing happens. Here's another one. Uh, some create a noble cause for their healing. A noble cause for their healing. They say something like this. If I'm healed, then God will be glorified. Well, I'm sure he will be. Um, if, if I'm healed, then my family will get saved. Right? Uh, some do this because in their hearts, they don't really believe God wants them well. And so they have to give God a reason. Like, God, you could put this in your newsletter this month. It'll be amazing. And all these, listen, I've never seen one person healed who had a noble cause. Okay? Because what they're doing, they don't really believe God wants them well. And so they've got to give God a reason to do it. And that's self-righteousness. And so here's what you need to do. I mean, Jesus is actually saying things like this. Shh, don't tell anyone. Just go show yourself to the priest, right? He's, he's not looking to use you for PR. Listen, I'm sure it'll be an incredible miracle. But in order for you to receive that incredible miracle, you have to get this in your heart. God wants me well, even if no one finds out about it. He, he wants to heal me because he loves me. All right? And so, um, yeah, my, my son actually was just telling me about a healing that they had happen in the, in the young adults group. And he felt like the Lord told him to kiss somebody's fingertips. They had nerve damage from welding, kissed their fingertips. And it was just kind of a picture of God kissing. What, what do parents do? They kiss the boo-boos and they make them feel better. Okay? That's what God wants to do for you. He wants to kiss those boo-boos. He wants, healing is a love touch from heaven. I mean, of course, it, it proves who he is and all these things, but he doesn't do it <clears throat> primarily for that. He does it because he loves you. He was moved with compassion and healed the sick. He wasn't moved with, this is going to be a fantastic marketing idea. And these little peons are going to see how powerful. No, no. He loved people and he healed them. How are we doing? Um, he, he never made people renounce the occult first. He never made sure they had all unforgiveness out of their heart. He never made them confess sin before they got healed. He never made sure they were caught up on their tithes. He never made sure they had attended church faithfully. He never made them submit to authority. How are we doing? I'm not saying it's not a good idea to renounce the occult if you're in the occult. It's a good idea. You need to get out of that mess. I'm not saying it's not a good idea to forgive somebody. I'm just saying Jesus never created it as a hoop or an obstacle in order to receive healing. He never made people fast in order to get healed. I heard, I heard somebody say, um, the Lord told me that I'm not, don't eat until I'm healed. I'm like, OMG, are you kidding me? That's, a, that's stupid. That's a hunger strike. That's not fasting. Fasting changes you. It doesn't change God. God's not up there like, I ain't giving Baker nothing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is he, whoa, is he fasting? Is that his gurgling tummy I heard? Well, now I'm turning from my fierce wrath, and I'm feeling warm, cuddly feelings towards him because he's starving himself. <laughs> Guys, that's religion. Again, I'm just going to say it again. Religion makes you stupid. It just makes you stupid. It just makes you deceived to see how good God is. Fasting changes you, it doesn't change God. Well, Jim, that's great, but God is sovereign. Oh, that sounds impressive. 
Um, he is sovereign. If you uh, use the dictionary be- definition of sovereign or the way the Bible uses it, sovereign meaning that he's bigger than anyone else. His ultimate plans and purposes will be accomplished through the free will of man. But what happens a lot of times is when something doesn't happen, rather than renew our minds and press into it, we sweep it under this rug of God's sovereignty. It's a mystery. We just take our hands off it so we don't have any responsibility for it. God is sovereign, and he sovereignly chose to give you authority over every sickness, every evil spirit, and every disease. Well, Jim, if God doesn't cause sickness, he allows it. No, he doesn't allow it. The church allows sickness. He put a gun in your hand and told you to shoot it. He's not up there coming down and zapping people against their will. He's given us the keys to the kingdom, and we get to unlock and set people free, or if we don't tell them about it, those doors remain locked. Guys, there has to be a group of people in this city that are willing to press into this thing and see people healed regularly on a regular basis. And, we've, man, we've had some great things happen, and I believe God wants, to, uh, he wants his name to be held in high esteem again. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to keep going after this thing. But we can't go after it with grit teeth and trying, and, God, I'm, I'm going to let you down. And it has to be a lot more rest. A lot more thank you, Jesus. I'm not saying there's not a time for a violent faith where you... Where you know you step out in boldness, but I think uh, you know sometimes faith looks like rest, sometimes faith looks like violent faith. Which one do you need? You need the Holy Spirit to tell you the difference. There's no formulas for this thing. How we doing? I remember we had a um, a leader from another church, and they were big into soaking prayer. Which um, you're like, Jim, where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. That's why you're having a hard time finding it. How we doing? And the idea was that we need to soak you in a bunch of prayer in order for you to get healed. I'm not talking about soaking prayer. We're just like soaking in God's presence. That's great. But to use it as a formula to get people healed. And so they, so they were used to that environment. And so in our healing rooms, um, prayers looked a lot like this. Shoulder be healed in the name of Jesus. Hey, why don't you check it out? And so this person was offended because we weren't spending enough time with people. And he's like, well, you know, we usually would soak them in prayer for 30 to 60 minutes. And I said, well, are people getting healed? Well, no, that's why I came here. And I said, so you're offended that we're getting results without using your method, which is basically it, and they ended up leaving the church. And so um, I, want you hear, I want you guys to hear this. God didn't say soak the sick. He said heal the sick. Okay, and I get it. Like, I'm not against being, you know, mean to people or, or, or discompassionate, but they don't need a bunch of warm fuzzies. They need the power of God to come into their body by someone taking the authority that Jesus gave them and speaking the truth. Let's look at Jesus' prayer. Little girl, wake up. Eyes be opened. Stretch out your hand. Now let's look at our prayers. From the north to the south, from the east to the west, for a time such as this, I decree and undeclare. It's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> trying to work up this magical potion and ah, and Goku powering up for 10 minutes. And... Come on, Dragon Ball Z fans. I know you're out there somewhere. This is terrible. I actually just bought this week a picture of Goku sitting on the toilet powering up. It's absolutely hilarious anyway. I bought it for a friend. It's very funny. Didn't need to put that one in there. Circling in for landing here. So one of the biggest doubts is I don't have enough faith. Okay? I don't have enough faith. And you're like, why is that a doubt? Well, here's the thing is faith, remember, I've told you guys this a lot of times. Faith is like an eyeball. An eyeball looks out. If somehow you took out your eyeball and turned it around and it's looking inward, it's no longer functioning like an eyeball, okay? Faith looks at Jesus. 
If faith begins to look to see if it has enough faith, guess what? It's no longer faith. Faith looks at Jesus. Faith doesn't look to see if my hands feel hot. Oh, now I believe there's a healing anointing. No, no. Faith looks at Jesus. Well, I don't know if I've ever heard of God doing something like this. Well, now you're looking in the wrong direction. So um, the book of Hebrews, the kind of the key word for the book of Hebrews is the word better. So Jesus is better than Moses because of this. He's better than the angels. The new covenant is better. We've got a better covenant, better promises, a better high priest, better, better. All the way through the book, he's making this argument. And then when he gets to Hebrews 11, uh, there's something called the hall of faith. that we, we call it that. And so by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Enoch. So we see all these examples of old covenant faith. And people look at that and they go, oh, that's what my faith is supposed to look like. But they don't read the end of the chapter. He says, but now there's a better way. Hold on. So old covenant faith was hearing the word, and through their willpower, they were just obeying it. But now there's a better way than that? How are most people trying to do it? Trying to, from their willpower, believe and strain and do this and that. He says, here's here's the better way of faith. Um, Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what does new covenant, better faith look like? I I love the picture in uh, in, uh, Psalm 23, 4 in the Passion Translation. It says, he is my delicious feast. What's the new covenant of faith? I'm enjoying him. Um, some, you guys, if you're here and you've got, a, if you've got an illness that you, I mean, any illness, but specifically if you've been prayed for a bunch of times and it, it, nothing seems to be working, if you've got a terminal illness, you've got a, uh, an incurable disease, something like that, I want to encourage you, go through the stories of the gospels and meditate on them. What does that mean to meditate? Picture yourself there. Play it like a movie in your head from different angles. What would it be like in the crowd to watch that happen? What would it be like to be Jesus seeing this happen? What would it be like for that person to receive it? What are you doing? I'm fixing my eyes on him. I'm picturing Christ as healer. I'm using my sanctified imagination so the Holy Spirit can use my mind as a canvas to begin to paint on. And when he paints on it, there's that revelation that comes. It bursts inside. There's a gift of faith in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. It's a gift that I've had. It probably happened to me three different times in my life where it came upon me and it eliminates all doubts. You literally don't have the ability to doubt. You just feel strong faith. You usually declare something out of your mouth. And after you declare it, you're like, I wish that could come back in. Like I'm saying things way stronger than I'm feeling them, right? Gift of faith comes on you. I'll, I'll tell you one funny story. Some of this, I probably told this before. I was preaching at this church, and there's a lady in a wheelchair in the front row, and the whole time I'm preaching, she's going, mm-mm-mm, mm-mm. She's like trying, I'm like, I'm like, hold on, is she telling people no? Like, they want to preaching? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I'm like, oh, I'm trying, to, I'm trying not to be discouraged by this, but this is like kind of, mm 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 man, I don't know what's happening here. So I'm you know, trying to make it through the message, but literally everything I'm saying, she's turned around telling people, no, 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 no. And so I'm like, oh, this is terrible. And so we get to, so we're praying for people at the end. There's like a line of people for prayer. And she wasn't in the line. She just, her chair hadn't moved, right? And so I'm praying. And so I, so I get to her and I'm like, well, hey, how are you doing? She says, I don't believe a word you're saying. I'm like, oh gosh, that's, you know, like, would you like to sign, would you like me to sign my book for you? You know, I said, no. And so she said, I don't believe a word you're saying. And so I'm not kidding. This is what happened. I don't, here's what happened. The gift of faith comes on me and here's what comes out of my mouth. That's okay, I do. I grab her by the hand and rip her out of the wheelchair and she begins walking like that. Gift of faith. Yeah. Holy Spirit, give us more of that gift of faith. But here's the more common thing is all faith is a gift and it comes from fixing our eyes on Jesus. You can't even work up the faith. Even that part's a gift. How do we get it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Meditating on him. You're going into a business meeting and you need wisdom. You fix your eyes on him. You know, yeah, you start thinking about it. If any of us lacks wisdom, 
God will give it generously to all. What am I doing? I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm recognizing he's the one who gives the source of wisdom. And I'm walking and expecting him to give it to me. And man, ideas come that are way better than I could have thought of. And you guys get in the picture? I don't have faith for your healing. Let's be honest. You don't have faith for your healing. Only Jesus has faith for your healing. And when we look at him, that faith comes. Are you guys seeing where the pressure's off? I mean, I mean, all these weeks, they're, they're just kind of hitting different angles, but healing is less and less about what we must do and more and more about what he has already done. You understand? We're not trying to get him to do something new. We're recognizing it's already done, and we're looking at that and saying thank you. Faith versus entitlement. Faith says, look at what Jesus did. Entitlement says, I've done this, and I've fasted, and I've prayed, and nothing's happening, and I got prayer from this person. I already hit that part. How many of you in here, you're like, Jim, I hear all this, but I'm the special exception. Is there anyone in here who feels like you're the special exception? I already hit it on the video. I got some good news for you. You're not that special. His blood works for you too. Jesus said this in John 19.30. As he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Notice he didn't say, I'm finished. I'm done with these people. A bunch of rebellious people. You're there crucifying the son of God. I'm done with you. He said, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Everything that needs to be happened to remove all the effects of sin from man, bring God and man back together. Here's how it, uh, it's a, the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, the tense of this verb is in the perfect tense. So here's how it could be translated. Because uh, the word finished could be translated perfect just as easily. It is perfectly perfect. It is completely completed. It is perfectly complete. It is completed perfectly. Guys, Father is satisfied with what Jesus has done for you. He is saying it is enough. Is it enough for you? Or do you think you need to jump through one more hoop or perform one more act or get rid of one more sin or get your mind just right or are you going to just push all your chips to the center of the table and says, I don't have it, I'm not good enough, but what you did is enough for me. I've been saying this a whole bunch. God will not withhold healing from you because you're bad. He will not heal you because you're good. He'll heal you because of what Jesus did on the cross. If we want to stand, we're going to do a closing exercise. I'm going to have you guys pray for yourselves today. And then our teams will be up here for prayer. Our teams are only going to be as good for you as they are able to help you shift your eyes into Jesus or keep your eyes on Jesus. If you're coming to them or any person because of their mighty healing anointing, it's going to be a very long day for you. Okay? So Jesus is where the good stuff happens. So um, we had this, uh, with this Catholic lady coming to our church when, when back when we had Saturday night services. Thank God those are over. And so, um, lots of reasons. Anyway, Saturday night services, and uh, this lady comes in. She's Catholic, and she's in a wheelchair. And so I was just talking to her, and as I was talking to her, I just felt like the Lord was telling me, you're carrying something you don't need to be carrying. And so I just said that. I said, hey, so, excuse me. I just felt like the Lord was saying that you're carrying something you're not supposed to be carrying. She's like, what is it? I said, I don't know. Let's ask the Lord. And so... Uh, so uh, she says, Holy Spirit, what am I carrying you don't want me to carry? And she goes, oh, unforgiveness for my father. I said, um, okay. And uh, I said, well, I, want you, I want you to look at me. I said, you, you, can't, you can't receive something new while you're still holding on to something. I said, you're going to have to let go of that before you receive something. So I said, um, ask, ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to give me instead? And she goes, oh, I see a field of flowers. What's it mean? I said, I don't know. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. 
And she goes, um, okay, Holy Spirit, what's in me? And she goes, oh, and she was just precious like this. She just kept gasping and like innocent. She was super cute. And she goes, oh, and she says, um, oh, I just saw Jesus uh, walk, take me by the hand and walking me through that field of flowers into freedom. I said, okay, I said, that's good. I said, remember what I said, you're gonna have to let go of that unforgiveness to receive that forgiveness. And so, and so I, I said, just between you and the Lord, let go of it and receive. And so I'm, I'm watching it. I didn't see anything physical with my eyes, but I just saw in this spirit this beautiful exchange. And she's just, you know, maybe 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds. And she says, oh, wow, that was amazing. And so, oh, great. And so she rolls up to her healing teams. And like two minutes later, she's out of the wheelchair. And uh, so she hadn't, I, I don't want to exaggerate. So I know it had been at least three years since she hadn't walked. And they said she'd never walk again. Okay, so it wasn't like she could walk and needed it. She couldn't walk. And, um, and so she comes by, and so I, I had my back to her. I was talking to some people. I hear this screaming, and I see her out of the wheelchair. And she, she's so cute. Her name was Lucinda. And she comes, uh, she comes by, and she's pushing the wheelchair, and she says, my husband isn't going to believe this. And uh, so she came in being pushed in a wheelchair. Now she's pushing her own wheelchair into the car. Yeah, it's so beautiful. A couple years ago, we did a cancer-free Sunday, and uh, we had a bunch of people lined up. And um, no one was getting breakthrough. How many of you guys know that can be discouraging when you have cancer-free Sunday and you're praying and nothing's happening? And so um, I thought I'd do something different. I thought I'd say, Holy Spirit, what should we do? I was kind of more being in formula mode and uh, just being honest with you. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, do the exchange. And so as I was praying this morning, I just felt like we're just going to do an exchange, lay hands on ourselves, and expect some good things to happen. Remember, we got people who are moving from white to pink, pink to red, red to bright red. You're not stuck, but we're moving in this thing, all right? And so just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what am I carrying that you don't want me to carry? Just see if he gives you a picture or just kind of a sudden knowing. Next question, Holy Spirit, what do you want to give me instead? Before we get ready to do the exchange, Isaiah 61 says that he grants to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a spirit of happiness. So God doesn't just remove the negative. He breaks off the piece of his life and gives you the positive part of himself as well. And so if you could just look at me for one second, I want you to remember this. We've got to let go of that thing he does I want you to carry so you can receive what he wants you to give you instead. So just between you and the Lord, I want you to just, God, I let go of this. And maybe it's, you know, we've seen people who have been sexually abused actually get healed in one moment, just like a broken bone resetting. God lifts this hurt. If you've been, some of you, it may be unforgiveness. I'm just sensing this. When you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean what you're saying, what you did is okay. What you're saying is I take my hands off your neck and I trust you to the goodness of God. I want you to encounter the same goodness that I did. And so it doesn't mean you don't still pursue legal actions if you need to, okay? But what it's saying is, God, I'm, I'm not trying to get revenge on them. Okay, I just sense there's some people in there for that. So let go of that one thing and receive this next thing. Let's take a few moments for that.
Lord, I just thank you for that beautiful exchange that people are being set free. <laughs> and though we just thank you for Jesus that he really did pay for it all. If you've got an area of your body that needs healed, I want you to just take your hand and put it there. Unless it's hemorrhoids, then we just send the word. You guys know the rules here. If you need a part of your body, shoulder, whatever it might be, just between you and the Lord, I want you to just take it and just, I want you just in, the, in your mind's eye, fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe you're seeing him take those stripes on his back that he bore your sickness, carried your pain by his stripes, you were healed. Maybe you're picturing him in the crowds and the multitudes and he's coming to person after person, sinner, lost person, messed up person, and giving them everything they needed in one encounter. So just as you're fixing your mind on him, maybe you're going to uh, just uh, whisper this phrase, this healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. What are you doing? You're believing and then receiving. You're not waiting to feel better. You're not trying to work it up. You're just fixing your eyes on him. And with that in mind, I want you to take authority. He gave you authority over sickness. And if it's your shoulder, I command this shoulder to be healed. I command this neck to be healed. I command pain, leave my neck. Stiffness, leave my neck. Uh, somebody's got something going on in their intestines. Lord, I speak to those intestines and I command them to be healed in the name of Jesus. Uh, someone in here has got an eating disorder. Maybe it's somebody watching online. And I just speak freedom to you. You do not have to do this anymore. That bondage, I just break that off you in the name of Jesus. Someone's got something going on with their toes. Uh, maybe it's some kind of gout. And, uh, and I just speak to that gout. I speak to those toes, and I tell them to be healed in the name of Jesus. Just begin moving around, checking it out a little bit. We don't remember. We're not trying to beg Jesus. We're just enjoying him. We're receiving him. We're fixing our eyes on him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, I bless what you're doing in your people. I thank you that you've given them authority over every sickness, every to pink, pink to red, and red to bright red. Lord, that healing time be made in our lives. And I just speak that healing word over your body one more time. Be made whole. In the name of Jesus. All right. Bless you guys. And so our ministry teams are coming up. If you like a little extra prayer. And, uh, man, let's just keep going after this thing. Does that sound good? All right. If you're new,